Amen. Amen. Well, glory be to God who is able to do all things well this morning. Greetings to you, Forrest family. Indeed, it is a privilege and an honor to to be with you this morning to worship. And if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua, the first chapter. Joshua, the first chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, you let us know. We will make sure you get a Bible of your very own. Not, not because you, your Bible at home and it's real dusty. If you don't, if you never had a Bible, let us know. We will make sure you get a Bible. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua, the first chapter. And for the next few weeks, what we would like to do is begin a series just marching through the book of Joshua and just looking at what God uh, did for the Israelites and how he took that that, that, that meager, small people and made them into a nation, gave them a land, and it was all based upon his promise, all based upon his power and all based on his ability and not their ability, but what he had predetermined what he was going to do with them for his glory and for their good. So as we begin this series, let us begin in Joshua, the first chapter. beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. I like to put a tag on this text and on this series, fueled by faith. Fueled by faith. Let us pray. Holy and Heavenly Father, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. We're so grateful this morning, dear God, that you are a God who is able to change the hardest hearts. It's nothing for you to take us out of darkness and bring us into your marvelous light, O oh God. We thank you that you have all power. We thank, that, we thank you that you are so merciful and so gracious that you would choose broken folks like us. We have nothing to offer you at all, Lord, but you have chosen to use us for your kingdom purposes for such a time as this. So, Father, we say thank you. And as we come into worship, may we come with hearts full of gratitude because of what you've already done. Truly, God, if you, if you didn't do one more thing for us, you've already done enough for, for us to give you praise and to exalt your name, dear God. But we beg you this morning, Lord, that you would pour forth your Holy Spirit, that you will be in this place, that you will anoint each and every one of us, Lord, to, to see your glory in this place. Prepare our hearts for worship. May we set our affections and our mind upon you right now and respond accordingly. And Father, may you open our eyes to this text, to what you want to do in this moment, even now. Now, Father, I pray that you would use me, this weakened, puny vessel, to declare the glories of Christ even now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You know, in Corinthians, the 10th chapter, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about the children of Israel in the wilderness and their foolery, basically, how they were behaving. And he tells us that those things took place for a reason. And 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 6, he points out, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And then down in verse 11, he he repeats the same thing. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, 
but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So as Paul is writing this, he, he, he is inviting us to look back over the scriptures for a particular purpose. And it's not just for moral stories or fun children's tales, but he is inviting us to look over scripture because these are real life situations and real life circumstances that happen to real people. And he is inviting us to look down and look back over the corridors of time so that we may see what took place with them in order for us to have a better outcome today. So in a way, what we want to do when we look at scripture, we look back in order to move forward. My wife and I have the privilege of doing premarital counseling for engaged couples. And part of that process, there's a lesson that we always want them to learn. And we are blessed in the process. And that, and that process is that you have two people from completely different lives most of the time, different upbringings, different backgrounds, and that each one of us have a certain amount or a certain type of baggage. And you take two people with baggage and you put them together with baggage, and you're going to have a whole lot of baggage, a lot of issues. And you take two sinners and you put them together, there's going to be a, a lot of sin. So, so the, the lesson that, that we like to bring them through and to help them to understand is that now the baggage in and of itself is not the issue. It's if you've ever dealt with the baggage, that's the issue. Are you willing to deal with your past in order to move forward with this marriage? You know, do do you know your baggage has the potential of holding your forward progress? The issues that you have has the potential to keep you from moving forward to where God wants you to be. So this is not just a lesson for marriage now, is it? Because a lot of us in here, even this morning, have a lot of baggage and it's keeping us still, stagnant. We can't move forward. We just, we just kind of in, in, in the twilight zone. I know I lost a lot of y'all right there, but just in the twilight zone, just kind of hanging out. Nothing is taking place, and, and we have a fear of moving forward. We have a fear of moving forward possibly because of there's a fear of failure. You may think that if I, if, if I exert all this effort, what if it doesn't work out? It may have a fear of people or situation or circumstance, or it may be doubt. Maybe you, you, you call yourself stepping out on faith before, and things just didn't quite work out like you thought, so you don't believe that God is able to do what he said he's able to do for you. Maybe you've come to a, a time in your life where you're just tired. It, it, there's a weariness in well-doing, and you're stuck. Or maybe you're just downright complacent. You just, you, you, you got what you got, and you happy where you at, and, and you find where you are. Empty promises, what, whatever it may be. The, our baggage in life has a way of holding us back from moving forward. Our past is, is crippling us as we try to, to, to seek the will of God, to grow closer to him. But it seems like failure, even now. And, we, and what we end up doing is living, it's like we learn to live day by day under this crushing weight of brokenness. We just, we, we just learn to live with dysfunction in our lives. God hasn't called us to this. He hasn't called us to live in this brokenness. And I believe just as a 7th century B.C. Israelite living under the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, or a first century A.D. Jew under Roman rule, I believe us, just as them, are able to look back at the book of Joshua for courage, for insight, for strength, and for hope as they press forward in life. Because each one of these issues is is dealt with in the book of Joshua. Our fears are dealt with, our complacency, our doubt, our weariness, each of these are dealt with here in the book of Joshua. We see in the book of Joshua 
that trusting in, believing in, resting in, and on the promises of God, it allows you to overcome these very obstacles. Faith that God will do the very things that he said he would do, for it is the promises of God that act as fuel for the people of God. His promises fuel us and propel us forward. So we look back not to uh, uh, be stuck in our issues or be stuck in our problems. We actually look back in order to move forward. The people of God look back over the promises of God and are encouraged to move forward because of his faithfulness, not our ability. We can press forward in life with great confidence because God has promised to be faithful to his people. This is exactly what Joshua and the people did in order to enter into the promised land. And and I believe that Joshua is right for us right now. Because as individuals and as a local church body, there is a temptation to become stagnant, but God has called us to move forward. As the body of Christ, we have been called to make disciples of Christ. We have been called to share the good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ for his glory and for our good to the masses that men, women, boys, and girls may come to the understanding of their need for Christ and humble themselves and surrender their lives to Jesus. We have been called to make disciples. We have also been called to mark disciples in the covenant membership that we share with one another. One another. This, this is not just for everybody. To be a, a member of, 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 of the local body of Christ, to be part of the global church, marked out through repentance and faith in Christ, participating with one another in the Lord's Supper and baptism, These things mark the people of God. But, you know, finally, we've been called to mature people for God. As people come into the fold and and we we teach and preach the word of God, we enter in community with one another in order to hold one another, not uh, accountable, but and also to strengthen one another. So God has work for us to do. So let us look back as individuals and collectively as the body of Christ upon the faithfulness of God and allow that to fuel our efforts as we press on. Amen? So as we begin the study of Joshua, let me flush out a few historical facts about this book. I have a a little fact sheet here. And the book of Joshua is, is primarily about God. It's not, it's not about their military conquests or uh, what great leadership style Joshua had. This book is about God doing what he, what, what he wants to do. Declaring his promises and fulfilling those promises because he is sovereign and able to do it. The faithful, covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fulfilling his promise to give their descendants, his chosen people, a land of their own. Joshua is a book about a land and a people, a prophetic interpretation of history, how the conquest of Canaan took place under the leadership of Joshua, the successor of Moses, the division of the conquered land among the tribes of Israel and the provision for the settlement of the theocracy in that country, the land where God would rule and be king. The book of Joshua was probably written sometime between circa 1400 B.C. and 1045 B.C. And according to Jewish tradition, Joshua himself is the author of this book. But since there aren't any obvious markers about the authorship, scholars have not been able to come to agreement on that. Many themes and many key ideas weave themselves within this book as we go forward, we will see the faithfulness of God in fulfilling covenant promises. We will see the the conquest and, and, and appointment of the land, the importance of obedience, themes over and over again, covenant and land and, and Yahweh, God's 
covenant name to his people, his sovereign involvement, the solidarity of the people. You know, we will see over and over again the Israelites' faith and trust in Yahweh is what fuels their progress. It's what allows them to move forward. So to fully understand just what's going on right here at this moment right now, we need to look back in order to move forward. Because this story doesn't start with Joshua 1. This is a story started in Genesis 1-1, but specifically in Genesis 12, where God shows up to Abraham, this pagan dude in the land of Ur. Nothing special about him, but God shows up and he chooses Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And, and through you, I will bless the nations. Abraham moves along with this promise. And along the way, Abraham decides that he wants to start doing things for himself. And he causes all kind of confusion and issues. But God shows that he's above all the drama. And he allows Abraham to have that son, Isaac. And Isaac comes along, and, 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 and God uses Abraham and Isaac to show that this will be the one through whom the descendants come. You move along from Isaac, and then you have his twin boys, Esau and Jacob, and they fighting all the time uh, at each other's necks all the time. And, and Jacob, the trickster. It's amazing how God used tricksters and cheats and liars and thieves and, and all kind of uh, uh, sinful people for his purposes. But God uses a liar named Jacob. And he, and he reconfirms that promise to Jacob of what he's going to do in the land. And then you move to Jacob. Remember, Jacob, God changed his name to Israel. Israel had 12 boys. This is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And from one of his boys, you know the story about Joseph. Joseph, he's, he's, the, he's, the top, he's the top dog of all his brothers because his, his father loved him. His father gives him a sweet jacket, a sweet leather jacket, and all his brothers are hating on him. And then, and then they sell him into slavery. And just when it looks like things are bleak, it gets worse because he doesn't go just from slavery, but he gets put in jail, falsely accused. But God reaches down into the darkness to where Joseph is and raises him up. Not just a little higher, like all the way up. To the point where he is second in command to Pharaoh himself. And during a famine in the land, uh, uh, Jacob sends his boys down to Egypt to get some, some food. And Joseph is there. He recognizes his brothers. A long story short, he ends up bringing his brothers to, to settle in the land of Goshen. So Jacob... Uh, Israel and all his brothers, they settled in the land of Goshen. And the Bible talks about now there's a, a Pharaoh who arose who didn't know Joseph. Didn't know how good Joseph had been to the, to the Pharaoh and, and, and to Egypt and all his plans. And it's during this period of time where the children of Israel are put into slavery and they began to have to serve Egypt because they were just multiplying so fast. So, so even there, we begin to see God's promise of descendants. They're multiplying. But God hears their cry out of slavery. And he sends Moses. And Moses weaving uh, to and fro with his purposes. God calls him to go to Pharaoh to declare, let my people go. Moses does. He he shows off God's power. God miraculously intervenes. Pharaoh lets the people go. They, they begin to head out. This is where we have the, 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 the Red Sea, where God opens up the sea. The children of Israel walk through on dry land. And as soon as the Egyptians come to chase them down and hunt them down, he destroys them. Then Moses takes this stiff-necked people through the wilderness this people, God, God, God takes them right up, up upon the precipice of the land. It says, you can't go over to the land. So they send out some spies, 12 spies. The spies go over and say, this is, this is a nice land. That's a nice neighborhood over there. That's a nice part of town. 
They got everything you need. Target, Walmart, they got uh, McAllister's. We love McAllister's. Kids eat free. And then they got, they got everything on this side of town. But the people out there are too big for us to take. Ten of them said that, but Caleb and Joshua say, no, but we could take them. They had been eyewitnesses to the power of God on what he's able to do. But because of their, because of the ten was able to influence the rest, God says, well, you're not going to go into the land. You're going to spend 40 years, and none of y'all are going to make it. Y'all are going to die off in the wilderness. So they began to wander through the wilderness. 39.5 years. We're right here with Moses. They're getting ready to enter into the land. They're right there on the precipice of promise. You can imagine the excitement. We have been waiting for this all of our lives. This is a promise given to Abraham. This is a promise that started way back when. And we are about to enter into the promised land. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses is assistant. My, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Here, at the, pref, uh, at the precipice of promise, all of a sudden we see a number of obstacles. These obstacles could actually cripple Israel's forward momentum into becoming a nation. They won't just be a people anymore. They will be a nation. God wants to do something marvelous with them. You just won't be individuals. You won't just be a crew. You won't just be a clique. You will be a nation with power. And I will use you for my glory. But Moses dies. The death of Moses in itself could cripple them because the prophetic leader who did all these wonderful miracles, the man, I mean, could, it, could, could, it, could any of us ever say that we've spoken to God face to face? He's communed with God in ways that we can imagine seeing for ourselves. He's done marvelous, mighty things. He's been a phenomenal leader, and now he's dead. For the people, I mean, this, this, this is like a death blow. Thinking about our leader, the one who got us this far, the one who has made all the right decisions, the one that we have our confidence in, he's gone. What do we do? Not only are they facing the death of Moses, but now they're facing new leadership. They, they're looking at Joshua. And, yeah, Joshua, he's been with us for a while, and he's accomplished a lot of things, but he's never been the head guy, and he's never had to make those hard decisions, right? So Joshua is there, and they don't know what they have. We're not sure. That could be a stumbling block. They have to cross over the Jordan River. This is a geographical barrier. They can't just walk over into the land. They have, they have to get over this river. There's obstacles. There's things in the way that are just not able to jump over. But then also, did we forget, the reason why they didn't go into the land in the first place because the inhabitants were larger than them. So the inhabitants are still in the land. So is that in this moment that the people of Israel, they won't be able to muster up enough strength to move forward on their own. But they must actually look back in order to move forward. Before they succumb to fear, frustration, complacency, Israel must remember their covenant relationship with Yahweh and look back upon Yahweh's promises, Yahweh's power, and Yahweh's pursuit. 
Yahweh's promises, Yahweh's power, and Yahweh's pursuit. When we look back on Yahweh's promises, we can move forward with confidence. Let's look at Genesis, the 12th chapter. Genesis, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Israelites, looking back over what God has done, will look back at this promise. And they would see how God promised to make a nation out of the descendants of Abraham. What is God doing here? God has sovereignly chose Abram, and at this time he says this. Now, Abram, you don't have to show up with anything. You ain't show up with any money. You you don't have to show up with the people. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to bless you. So as they are looking back, Over this promise, they realize that God is the only one saying anything. They're not the ones on the hook. They look back and they see that God has already been working through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. God has already been doing his thing. So we, we, we know that God is faithful. We know his word is true. He is, he is in a process of bringing this to full fruition. God promises descendants, land, and blessing. In a way, when you look at this text, it's coming right off the hills of you have Noah and the flood, then you have the Tower of Babel. People just ain't getting it. God is saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they're just not doing what, they, uh, what God has called them to do. So God chooses a new Adam, and he says, look, I'm going to use you to accomplish what I wanted to do in the first place. So Israel, almost like it's becoming the, the new Adam. I, I got a new creation plan for you guys, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and I want you to be my priest. I want you to declare the glories of Christ. I, I, want, I want people to know who I am because of your activity, because of your work. This promise has all already been halfway fulfilled. All that remains would be entrance into the promised land to lay hold of what God had already given them. You know, Israel, looking back on this promise, you know, it, it kind of reminds me how, 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 how Popeye used to be with spinach. Now, again, I might be losing half of y'all in here. But Popeye used to be, get beat up, bullied, knocked around by Brutus all the time. And then he, he'd get sick and tired of being sick and tired. He'd go to the shelf, the cupboard, or wherever. He'd be tied up. He'd kick a rock. The rock would go up and fall on the can and the spinach up, fall in his mouth. But as soon as Popeye got that spinach... He had power, and he was able to get up, to shake off whatever had him bound, and able to take care of business. So when Israel is looking back on these promises, it's like them eating spinach in a metaphorical way. They are looking back and receiving energy and encouragement because I'm not so much worried about what's in front of me because I've looked back to see what was behind me. And what's behind me tells me that my God is faithful. My God is able. So just as the Israelites would need to look back to move forward, we need to look back to see what Yahweh has promised us. God has promised salvation to all who would believe. Romans 
God promises that all things will work out for the good of his children. Romans 8, 28. God promises comfort in our trial, 2 Corinthians. God promises new life in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God promises to give wisdom to all who ask. He promises to give peace when we pray. He promises to supply all our needs. He promises to give us rest in Jesus. He promises to give us abundant life in Jesus. He promises to give us the help of the Holy Spirit. He promised eternal life and eternal security to those who would trust in him. He promises power to his disciples. He promises that Jesus is coming back again for his people. And I love in in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, God promises to sanctify us completely. Because at the end of the text, he says, and he will surely do it. Won't he do it? He surely will do it. Each one of these promises, finding their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, Hebrews. For all the promises of God, find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So even as we look back over where God has brought us from, we don't have to look very far but the text of Scripture to see that we got a promise and that God is faithful to his promises. And when we believe and trust in him, he will give us the strength, the encouragement that we need in order to move forward. When we look back on Yahweh's promises, we move forward with confidence. But also when we look back on Yahweh's power, we can move forward with courage. This text is in Deuteronomy, the 29th chapter, verses 2 through 9. Moses speaking to Israel on, in the land of Moab. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your, your clothes have not worn out on you. And your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread and you have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of of the Manassasites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all you do. Israel, looking back at this text, will get a quick reminder that every time they were in a situation, God showed up with power. God was able to split the Red Sea. God was able to feed them from, with manna from heaven. God caused quail to fall on the ground. God was doing miraculous things all the time. He was taking a weak, puny nation and allowing them to conquer these great uh, nations and take their land. So when Israel is looking back over over the power of God, they can't help but see that our God is omnipotent. There's no one like him. There's no one who compares to him. There's no one who can touch him. He is above all, and he's able to do everything that he pleases. And when nations looked at their God, they would tremble. I remember growing up playing basketball with my father. He used to take me, we used to play basketball everywhere. And I remember this time we were playing at this particular gym with some buddies he had from work. And I, and I had the ball and I went to the hole to, uh, to make a layup. And one of the guys just kind of gave me one of those, uh, like, Mike Tyson just elbows and, and knocked me down. My pop's so cool. 
So he sees me on the ground, and he just walks up, and he says to the guy, all right, now, we're not going to play like that. And that was it. I remember next time I got the ball, I came to the hole. Oh, boy, it looked like he just backed up. I started getting the ball. But if ain't nobody going to touch me, I'm going to keep going to the hole. Man, I was a buckets after buckets after buckets. But what happened? My father showed up. He didn't, he didn't have that crazy, but the authority in his voice was a symbol to everybody on the court. Don't touch my son. Don't you put your hands on my son. As Israel is going through the land, God is showing up doing these miraculous miracles. And then what is he saying to the people? Don't touch my son. Don't touch my son. This is my people for my purposes that I have for them. You don't want to get in an argument or beef with me. So keep your hands off my children. What power has Yahweh displayed for us? We merely need to look at the New Testament. We see that Jesus exercised power and authority over all of creation. Jesus healed the sick. He made the lame walk. He gave sight to the blind. He cast out demons. He ceased the raging sea. He raised the dead. And not only did he raise the dead, but he got up on the third day, early one Sunday morning, with all power in his hand. Because Jesus has power. We don't have to worry or be concerned about what people may do to us. In your complacency, being stagnant right now, don't look to your own power to get you unstuck. Don't look to your own strength to muscle you past. But we look to God to give us strength. When we look back on Yahweh's power, we can move forward with courage. But then lastly, when we look back on Yahweh's pursuit, we can move forward with contentment. Exodus, the 19th chapter, verses 1 through 6. And they read, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you up, you bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. On the precipice of the promise, Israel will look back at how God has tirely pursued them as a people. His desire all along, beginning with his promise to Abraham, was to, to, to call a people to himself, to create for himself a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They will be his treasured people. This is, not, this is not any ordinary people. God wants to set his affections on them. He wants to, to, to love on them, to care for them like a mother as a child. He has great plans for them. And time after time again, they turned their back, but they saw time and time again how God still pursued them in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their brokenness. God was still pursuing them. He wanted to be in an endless love relationship with them. These purposes of God is, is sweet. Because when 
when God says he wants, to, wants them to be a kingdom of priests, what he, he, he wants them to be individuals who are completely devoted to himself. So you have individuals who, who will serve and devote their entire lives to God. But then on the other side of it, it's like in a holy nation. So, so God, he, he wants them to be a nation who is devoted completely to him, but through this nation, all the other nations will, be, will, will see the glory of God and be blessed. So God is calling them to a twofold ministry. First, as individuals, they are set apart, setting their devotion, their affections back on God as individuals, but God is going to use them as individuals to be a blessing to every other nation. So when they look at God's pursuit of this, uh, of this people, what they will see is that we have a purpose. God has a plan. Do you know God has a plan for your life? God wants to use your life for his glory. God wants to do something amazing with your life. But when we get caught up in our baggage, when we get caught up in complacency, when we get caught up in fear and doubt that, that you are being stagnant and you are not letting your light so shine before men so that they would see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. I remember when I was pursuing my bride. And I, if you've been to any of the marriage retreats, I had to come clean. The fact that when I, when I first met my bride, she didn't even like me. I, I know, ain't that crazy? <laughs> she didn't even like me. And I, I would pursue her. I would call her. i get half answers. But I never got a full rejection. But then finally one day, after I pursued her, she responded. And we began to have dialogue and conversation, and we began to really enjoy one another. And it was at that time where we chose to set our affections on one another. Now, from a human standpoint, was that tireless pursuit? Not really, but... It wasn't like creepy getting on your nerves pursuit, but it was, it was, I like what I see, so I'm going to keep calling. But it was, it was pursuit, nevertheless. Do you know that God is pursuing you? Do you know God wants to know you? He wants to have a conversation with you? He wants to set his affections upon you? All you have to do is respond. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I, I know I've been running. I know I've been dipping and, and dodging. I know I've, I've been uh, being foolish. I, I know the things that I've done, but you know what's so beautiful about God setting his affections on you? That he's no, he knows what you've already done, too. And he still wants to love you. It blows my mind. You know everything I've done, yet you still want to be in a relationship with me? That just takes away all the shame. It takes away all the guilt. Because he knows me, and he still loves me. God is pursuing you. How does Yahweh pursue us? The, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our peace. He is the reason that we can be reconciled back to the Father. The Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love have no one than to lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus' ultimate display of his love and affection and pursuit of us is symbolized on Calvary's cross. Where they hung him high and they stretched him wide. And the wrath of God was poured on him so that it would not have to be poured on us. They buried him in the tomb, but he rose. 
God loves you. And he wants to be in a relationship. He is pursuing you. So no matter what may happen along the way, what, who you might lose or, or what you go through, the one who has God as his treasure has all things in one. J.I. Packer. When we look back on Yahweh's pursuit, we can move forward with contentment. On the precipice of promise, all Israel needed to do was to look back on what God had already done in order to muster up enough strength and courage to press forward into the promised land. You know, for us, the danger would be to look back on what God has done and believe that the excitement of the moment would be enough to move us forward in our own power. We understand this, though God does expect our obedience, it has never, it has never, never, never been the means by which our salvation is based. If that were the case, then none of us would be saved because none of us can muster up enough energy to be completely obedient to God. We are weak and poor and needy. And if left to ourselves, we will always look to ourselves and not towards God. But glory be to God that the same God who was working back then through Joshua is the same God who is working for us right now. As a, as a matter of fact, I, I think I failed to mention that Joshua, uh, that, that his, his name in and of itself, his Hebrew name is Yeshua. Yeshua, transliterated, is Jesus. So as we march through this book and we look at Joshua, we can say Jesus was working way back when for us, and he's working right now. Not only does Jesus work things out right now, he's working them out back then because the text tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the and, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is working on your behalf right now, and he has always been working on your behalf. Ultimately, when we are looking back at the promise the power, and the pursuit of God, we're looking back at the person and work of Jesus Christ. So as we come to a close quickly, I want to leave us with five reasons why we should study the book of Joshua. Five reasons why we should study the book of Joshua. Reason number one, we, we, we should study the book of Joshua because we need to be reminded that faith is active. What does that mean? God had made a promise to Israel, but yet they still had to go and take the land in order for the promise to be fulfilled. That means that when God promises us and he has these expectations, that we got to get up and do something. We can't just have faith in faith. Faith has an object. And if our faith is in, and trust is in Jesus, that co compels us and propels us into action. The second reason we need to study the book of Joshua, is we need to see the, the collective blessing of obedience. Do you know when, when we have purified our hearts before God and we are seeking and chasing after God, do you know your Christian walk ain't just for you? But when we are walking together for the glory of Christ, he will use every one of us collectively for his glory and his purposes in this world. There's blessing and collective obedience, but then also we need to see, that, see the, the collective consequences of sin. You may think this is your sin and this is your issue, but if you're a part of the body of Christ here, that affects, that affects us. That affects me. All of our sin, we have, our sin affects one another. 
And we'll see in Joshua how one person's sin can affect an entire nation. We need to study the book of Joshua because we need to see how to pass our faith to the next generation. All throughout Joshua, we're seeing stones being set up. Passover being observed. A constant declaration to tell the children when they ask, tell them, tell them, tell them about the faithfulness of God. But then finally, we need to study Joshua because we need to long for ultimate rest in Jesus. Because the promised land was a land of temporary rest. We need to look at this temporary rest and see how we, we are living in a temporary world and that we need to ultimately long for what's above. Let's not set our eyes on, on, on getting what you can get from the world right now. We need to learn how to long for Jesus. We need to learn how to live past the right now. We need to, we need to learn how to live past your best life right now because my best life will never be right now because my best life is when I'm in the presence of God face to face. In glory. Forrest, God hasn't called us to be fearful. Forrest, God has, has not called us to be complacent. God has not called us to be doubtful. We move forward when we look back on the promises of God. We move forward when we look back on the power of God. And we move forward when we look back on the pursuit of God. For us, God has called us to press on, fueled by faith. The promises of God, acting as fuel for the people of God, we look back in order to move forward. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this word that